Oh, so great to be here this morning. Turn to the book of Genesis. That's the one that's just right after that says genuine leather. Make it real simple for you. I've entitled this message this morning, and God said, from revelation to demonstration. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless, empty, darkness was over the surface, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. God said, let there be light. And guess what happened? There was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And he called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Let's pray. Lord, in these few moments, help us. Be men and women that not just seek after a word. But as Pastor AJ has already exhorted us to seek after the word, who is you. But God, let us be men and women that are not just communicators, mailmen, but men and women full of the Holy Ghost and power that the world might see who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the principles of studying the Bible is a hermeneutical principle of first mention. First mention simply states that the first time that you see something that's presented in the Bible, everything theologically along that topic continues from that, meant that first mention. Now what is particularly germane here is that the very first thing that we see in scripturated, that we see the Holy Ghost breathing on scripture, is God doing what? Speaking. How many of you know that from an anthropomorphic perspective, God could have done this any number of ways? He could have thunk it. And God thought. He could have blinked his God eyeball. Or waved, waved a God hand. He could have done it any number of ways. But scripture records God said. Now I, I got to tell you, this is a pretty good word. There was no worship team. There was no faith in nothing. There was, there was nothing reciprocal that was calling forth God. But God spoke to absolutely nothing. And the power of that word was so effective, so powerful. Creation was formed. Wow. God has never spoken an extra word. He's a master of efficiency. Every word in these 66 books breathed by God. There's not an extra word in there. Have you ever wondered about all the begets and the begots and the counting and all that stuff? All the weirdness and revelations. Why is that there? 
but it's there for a reason. God has never had a superfluous word inscripturated and he's never spoken one. And God is inseparable from his word. John, the first chapter, you know this one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word. Come on. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And it's on the basis of that word that our faith is not only informed, but it's on the basis of that word that our faith is formed and continues to be formed. You see, you and I can be separated from our words. What do I mean by that? You and I can lie. As a matter of fact, we don't even have to be trained to do that. Somehow, we kind of leave the womb and come into this world and, did you eat? No. Did you break? No. We have to literally be trained, come on, to do what? Be truthful. And yet... One of the things that marks the divine from that which is not is that if God said it, it has to be true. Here's one that will keep you awake tonight. If God were to tell a lie, it would have to be the truth. Just stay awake and work that for a while. You see, when man speaks, some things happen some of the time. Well, we have some power. God's given us the power of intellect. He's given us a will. He's given us a certain amount of creativity and we can, we can engage our souls. We can engage our wills and we can make certain things happen. Some things, some of the time. But when God speaks, oh my. It is the beginning and the end of a matter. Why? Because he is the alpha and omega. Remember when your, when your mama finally said, don't ask me again. You know, you knew exactly how far to push. You knew everything in between, but you get to the, don't talk, don't ask me again. And that was the omega. That was, this is the end of the matter because there's a fly swatter or a switch coming after any other thing that comes out of my mouth because authority has spoken. Could I submit to you that in this alpha and omega of who God is, the beginning and the end of that which he has spoken and continues to speak, everything else are details. It's all they are. They're details. Isaiah 55 verses 10 through 11, very familiar passages of scripture. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seeds for the sower and bread for the eater. Verse 11, so is my word that comes out from my mouth. What does it say? It will not return to me, say it, void or empty, but it will accomplish. Come on. 
It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Oh, that's a scripture to go get lost in. Oh, my goodness. And that's got very little to do with you or me or who's in, who's in the White House or who's in the Kremlin or, you know, what? it has very little to do with anything else that when God has said it, that's the beginning and the end of it. I'm going to keep preaching. You're going to get it eventually. If you don't get it from me, you're going to get it from Pastor Chris. You may as well go ahead and get it from me. You know, there's a Hebrew word for this concept. It's the word debar. It means the word. The debar of God. And in Hebrew thought, the word of God had in it the power and the potential to accomplish itself. The word, the connotation of the word in the original language, it means to drive or to push forward. So if this were the word of God, because God has spoken it, that word has the power to accomplish itself. I kind of like that. I kind of like that because it gets me out of the middle of everything. I don't know about you, but I tend to just mess it up and slow it down. But you know what? I won't stop it. Because God's word will not return to him void. And saints, I believe the function of the prophetic is, of course, speaking that which God is speaking. We are repeating that which heaven is declaring. But saints, God's voice always has inherent in it, not just intent. Listen but the power and the authority to accomplish itself. Many times we hear God's word, we read the scripture and we say, well, that's a really good idea. That's great intent. You don't get it yet. God's word coming. It has not just intent. It has the authority to make itself visible, to make itself known in your life and in this city and in the nations. And our goal as prophetic ministers, as a prophetic church, is for that power to accompany that word. We live in a day of much information, some revelation, but tragically, very little demonstration of the Spirit of God. And it's time for God's prophetic people to move from just being mailmen and mouthpieces to becoming the very mediums and messengers by which the power of God is made known. Jesus tasked the disciples. He gave them not just a mission, but a commissioning. And with that commissioning, there was a promise. And that promise was one of both proclamation and power. You know these passages. Luke, the 12th chapter. He says, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that moment what to say. Don't worry about your notes. Don't worry about your nifty four points that all alliterate. 
Don't worry about being wise and persuasive in a moment like that. The Holy Ghost will tell you what to say. The Bible talks about being instant in season. Being able to be able to access heaven. God, what are you saying in this moment? But beyond just God, what are you saying? It's God, what do you want to do right now? Not only did he give them the power, the promise of proclamation, but he gave them the promise of power. Matthew, the 10th chapter. Calling the 12 to him, he gave them what? Authority. Dunamis, dynamite. Power to drive out evil spirits and to heal what? Every disease and sickness. I love that word every right there, by the way. Not the easy ones. Every disease and sickness. I don't care what's terminal, what stage what. Every disease and sickness. Get hold of that. And he said, as you go, preach. Open your mouth. Speak. That the the kingdom of heaven is near. Do you realize that when you open your mouth, when you are an oracle of God, when you begin to speak and prophesy the word of the Lord, you know what you're doing? You are manifesting the kingdom in that moment. Preaching, yes, the kingdom is near. But when you open your mouth and the throne is speaking, you're bringing the kingdom into this realm. He goes on, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Wow. So let's look at a few examples of what this looks like in Scripture. The first is creation. We've already looked at that. But in creation, there's also conception. Let there be. You know, there's an element of power in the prophetic to call forth. If you wish to create to see God's intent and purposes manifested in the natural realm. And in that, there's a conception that happens. Of course, the most famous one that we know of is in Luke, the first chapter. What does it say? What did Mary, how did Mary respond? Be it unto me according to what? Thy word. Divine conception. Based on God's word. And listen to me, saints. That which God conceives, he will always safely deliver. Some of you wonder, you feel like that you've had a lot of miscarriages. Let me just tell you, you will never miscarry that which is of God's conception. He says in Isaiah 66, do I bring to the moment of birth and not do what? Give delivery. Do I close at the womb when I bring delivery? Mary, according to that word. We look at a very common passage of scripture. We, it's hard to talk about power and the prophetic and not look at Elijah and or Elisha. Elisha, pretty bold young man. Give me a double portion of what you got, Dad. Scripture records, depending on how you count, that Elisha did exactly twice as many miracles recorded in Scripture 
as Elijah did. Except he had to do the last one after he was already dead. Remember that story? Corpse got thrown on his bones and the corpse came back to life. I got to tell you, that's pretty good anointing. <laughs> when you can raise the dead when you was dead. <laughs> that, ain't, that ain't half bad right there. <laughs> but we find a story in 2 Kings 4 of the Shunammite. You know this. Built a, built a place there for the prophet Elisha to come and rest and do all that. And has a moment that the prophet calls her and says, gives her a word. And he gives her a word with the type of specificity that we're training most of these people this week not to do. <laughs> but he did it. All right, you're going to have a baby. And it's going to be a boy, gender. <laughs> and uh, it's going to be in about a year. Now her response, rather than getting all happy about that was, don't mess with me. You have no idea how, how, how many rounds of IVF we've been through. You have, I mean, you know what? We, we're not even, we can't even go there. Next year, about this time, you will hold a son in your arms. And guess what happened? Based on the power of that prophetic word, conception happened in that woman's womb. Wow. Very interesting. But then things happen, which brings me to my second point, is resurrection. You know, life happens. And even that which God conceives and that God births, sometimes God's after an even greater demonstration of power. John 9, you remember the story. Man blind from birth. Hebrew understanding at that time was that if you had a congenital defect like this, that somehow it was a direct result of generational sin. And so the question that the disciples asked, who sinned this man's mother or father that this man might be born blind, it was not one of accusation, it was one of tradition. And Jesus makes this remarkable statement that should keep you awake tonight. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Uh-oh. Say uh-oh. Uh -oh. We return to 2 Kings. That boy that was prophesied, who was safely delivered, grew up. And we don't know exactly how old he was, but he was old enough that he was out, out of his mama's purview and he was with his daddy. Was out there with the reapers. The harvesters. Something happened and he fell over dead. Not how it's supposed to work. I mean, come on. I wasn't looking for this. I didn't ask for this. And if you remember when the Shunammite finally got in the presence of Elisha, what did she say? I told you not to deceive me. You've put me in a worse place than I was before. I was better with a barren womb than with a dead son. Wow. Accusation. Elisha took 
went into the room. She knew where to put the boy. The very room that she had built for the presence of the prophet is exactly where she laid the corpse of her child. Elisha goes in and he shuts the door. He begins to pray. And the first time, nothing happens. We read the account. It says that he went and lay on the child. He put his mouth in his mouth, his eyes and eyes and hands and hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. But he didn't stop because it had the appearance of life, but the child was still not alive. He got up, walked back and forth, went and stretched himself upon him, and the child sneezed. Three times he did this. Saints, listen to me. Some of us have got to get close. We've got to embrace the very thing that's died in order to see God breathe life back into it. The basis of our entire faith is on resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, For if the dead are not raised, Christ hadn't been raised either. And if Christ hadn't been raised, your faith is futile. That was the buzz in the early church, by the way. It wasn't health and wealth. The buzz in the early church was the resurrection of the dead. Resurrection bodies. This is what was getting on the cover of Charisma magazine in the first century. But that resurrection happens as a result of his voice. John 5, don't be amazed for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will do what? Hear his voice and what does it say is going to happen? They will come out on the basis of what? His voice. Jesus, child that was died, had died there. Very much like what Elisha had to do was closing that door. He went in with the parents and his disciples and began to pray. It says they laughed at him. Oh, the, the girl's not dead. They laughed at him. And he put them all out. Took the father's, child's father, mother, disciples, went in where the child, he took her by the hand and he did what? He said. Here it is again. He did what? He said. He didn't preach her a sermon. He didn't teach theology or apologetics. He said, get up. Jesus comes to some folk that he loved. Mary and Martha, sisters. Same reaction that the Shunammite had. Where you been? If you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And he didn't just wait for him to die. He waited for the process of what happens to a dead body after it's been dead for a moment. So there's no question that this is not a coma, but this is really something that's dead. 
I won't be any more indelicate than that, only because Pastor Brett's sitting here. <laughs> if you'd been here, accusation. What did Jesus do? He called in a loud voice, Lazarus, what? Come forth. The power of the prophetic is a quickening voice to make alive what is dead. One of the great principles of this kingdom is death before resurrection. We all want resurrection life. We just won't, don't want the death that has to precede it. We want the life of Christ flowing through our life. We just don't want to render our flesh as mortified in order to have it. We want it all. Can't have it. And physical resurrection, yes. Let me ask you, what else has died around your life? Maybe your dreams. I mean, when Elisha approached the Shunammite and asked, what can we do for you? She said nothing. She didn't ask him. Why? Because that dream had died a long time ago. Sarah reckoned as dead her womb. She laughed. <laughs> When the word came forth that God was going to quicken her womb and bring forth a child. The voice of God is a quickening voice. Does it strengthen, encourage, and comfort? Absolutely. We believe that. Hallelujah. But we believe that we need to see the power restored of resurrection back to the prophetic. I hate to be the one to tell you this, but we live in a culture that is not just dying, but in many sectors, it's already dead. But that does not leave me with no hope. It leads me to the place that many times, if we'll go ahead and let it die and begin to stinketh, God will say, now watch me do something. Watch me do something that legislation could never do. Watch me do something that science could never do. Watch me do something. Don't be afraid of death in this moment. But the power of the prophetic married with the resurrection power of God to open your mouth and speak to that which is dead. Watch it be quickened in the name of Jesus. Wow. Affirmation. Jesus is baptized, Matthew 3. It says a voice comes from heaven. The dove descends, Holy Spirit. But it says that a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We find that same affirmation happening again. That's interesting this time it happened at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. But that same affirmation happens at the beginning of the end of his public ministry. On a place that the Bible calls the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is up there with a couple of his knuckle-headed disciples and 
some other fairly august company, Elijah, Moses. And the disciples get to see a, get to see Jesus in a way that they've not yet seen him to date. They're going to need to remember what they've seen in the coming days. And that same voice from heaven comes down to affirm, this is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. That same affirmation comes again. Kind of as an aside, there was a command tacked on that time. It was what? Listen to him. Last time a man went up on a mountain and had a moment with God, he came down with 10 commandments. But this time, these two disciples came down with one command from heaven, listen to him. And that affirmation, the identification as a son, his affection, whom I love, our standing with him, with whom I am well pleased. Do you know that that voice is the same voice trying to speak to you right here this morning? Do you realize that same affirmation that came down from heaven about the Son of God because of what the Son of God did to come, suffer, die, and go back? You and I now have heaven proclaiming the very same thing over you and over me this morning. This is my son. This is my daughter with whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. Done. Wow. And God was so intent about the power of the prophetic and affirmation. Romans 8, that the spirit testifies with our spirit. There's constant ministry going on that we are what? We are children of God. Conception, resurrection, affirmation. But then there's transformation. Matthew 4, 19, come follow me. Jesus said, and I'll make you into something. I'll make you fishers of men. You see, when God's voice comes, it says that we will be changed. You realize that that's what we're all waiting for. We're all waiting for an exchange of these bodies for heavenly bodies of the constraints of what this life brings, the limitations of what this life is as to how we can access God. And God, the power of the prophetic brings transformation. God speaks and we are now fundamentally not just improved a little bit, but we are fundamentally and foundationally changed, transformed into something completely other. Wow. And let me just tell you, in as much as the world is waiting for a demonstration, the world is also waiting for transformation to take hold of God's men and women known as the church. Is to see a group of people that are completely, don't just talk a little different, cuss a little less. men and women that have been transformed by the power of the Holy Ghost. Different. The world's waiting for that type of church. 
There's the prophetic of confrontation. You know, God's first act was to separate light from darkness. Now, what's interesting here is that if you look at the account of creation, the sun, the moon, the stars, the heavenly lights were made on day four. So theologians, they, 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 they struggle a bit about what, was, what actually happened on day one. So light coming from somewhere. But in that moment, there was a distinction, a separation, a differentiation between that that was dark and that which is now light. Could I submit to you that that same first act of God is the same act that God is still doing. He is separating light from darkness. Truth from lies. Sin from righteousness. And let me tell you, on that first day, there was no gray. There was no in between. There was light and dark. Period. And that same differentiation and discernment is coming to us. Ezekiel talks about the role of the priests to distinguish between the profane and the holy, the, the, the function of the priest in order to be able to tell the people. How many of you know that God has made the church a what? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a prophetic people. Yes, to declare his praises, but yes, to also say, this is darkness and this is light. Touch, don't touch. Eat, don't eat. And I'm not talking about in some list of regulations and legalism, but in a way that brings forth light. Yes. And allows that light to continue to shine in and through our lives. And saints, listen to me. There are confrontations coming. Elijah, Mount Carmel. How long will you waver between two opinions? If he's a God of the Baals, worship them. But if he's God, worship him alone. Right. Confrontation's coming. Acts, the fifth chapter. How is it that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? Revelation came to confront Sin. I better move on quick. Then this prophetic of reconciliation. God speaks those things. Those people who have been separated will be reconciled. Ephesians 5, Ephesians 1 rather, speaks about God bringing all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. Now we know this is Speaking of something that is yet to come, eschatological. But how many of you know that we are tasked with seeing how much of this can we see happen here? How much of that future reality can we see exhibited in how we do life together? Reconciliation. And that reconciliation, it came in a vision. It came by prophetic means. And it wasn't just about hamburgers and steaks and shrimp and ribs. <laughs> Somebody say amen. amen. But the sheet that Peter saw was a bringing together of all kinds of things 
that previously had been unclean, meaning who? The Gentiles. It was revelation that brought to Peter the message of reconciliation that this gospel is not for the Jew alone, but for the Gentile as well. How many of you know we need a fresh revelation and a fresh word from God to see that which has been separated in our world brought back together? For Peter, it took revelation, a vision to set forth the mission that God had for him. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came and he says, I remembered what the Lord said. John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Spirit. That God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I to think that I could oppose God? What group of people do you think are beyond reach today? What neighbor, what family member, what group of folk, what ethnicity, what nationality did you feel like? Certainly God cannot include them in that number. You need revelation. Because this is what God's called the church to in this moment. You say, well, Pastor Jim, all this sounds great, wonderful. I want me some of that. Hold on. Because there's a cost to be had. You know, the gifts and calling are free. They're given by asking and given by grace. But to step into power is costly. We're going to have to press in, press through, and be willing to be pressed in order to see it happen. Daniel chapter 10, pretty powerful dude. Had a little relationship with God. Leader in his generation. Lions and, you know, pits and stuff like that. And in the third year of King Cyrus, it says in Daniel 10, a revelation was given to Daniel. Message was true, concerned a great war. And the understanding was given him in a vision to, at that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. Church, listen to me. As a church, we've learned to rejoice. But now as a church, we need to learn to weep. We need to learn to mourn. Let me just tell you. There are things that are going on around us that cause us to to weep, to mourn. Yes, even to groan. Part of the cost Paul wrote about. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you know this. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. Three times I prayed that it might be taken away. You say, Pastor Jim, tell me what the thorn in the flesh was. I have no idea. Ask Pastor Brad. He probably does. (laughs) But it was because of revelation. It was because of the power that Paul was moving in. That to keep Paul from getting a little big-headed about all this, God says, let me give you a little something-something to bring you back down to where you live. I mean, he had probably dealt, whether it was a physical ailment, whether it was a demonic entity, we're not sure. Theologians are still debating that. But regardless of what it was, he probably had seen somebody else set free from it. 
And yet, here he is with it. And what did God say? My grace is sufficient. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Wow. And saints, listen. If we want to move from revelation to demonstration, we're going to have to contend for this power. You know what that word means? It means to strive. It means to vie in contest against difficulties, to struggle. It's like, ooh, 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 wait, 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 wait. I thought this was supposed to be a fun conference. It is. (laughs) You know, I've been prophesying for a moment, and I've done it once or twice. And it comes pretty fluently. And I say this in the fear and trembling of God. It comes pretty easily. But I know God has been challenging me of late. Son, I want you to move beyond just being a mouthpiece. And for us to have it, we're going to have to contend for it. And it's going to come with a cost. The saints, listen to me. It's worth it. It's worth it. You're worth it. This dying world is worth it. The reputation of the church, the expression of the kingdom, is worth it to contend for demonstration and not just revelation. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, help us today. God, birth something new in us in this moment. God, even as John the Evangelist leapt in Elizabeth's womb in the presence of Jesus, God, let something be leaping in our spiritual wombs as we hear this word this morning. Conceive something new in us. God, I pray that whatever might be dead in and around our lives, whatever dreams that we don't even dare to share anymore, God, come and breathe resurrection life in every area. God, let us hear the affirmation of heaven as to who we are and how you feel about us. Change us. Transform us into your person. God, we will not shrink back from confrontation because we know, we know that the violent take it by force. And that God, let us be the agents of reconciliation. Let fresh revelation come to us of that which you've called us to be as a people. Not just as a single church, but as the church. Bringing forth the Jew and the Gentile, every nation coming together, bowing and calling you Lord. Lord, thank you for these great people. God, we're so excited about what you're doing in our midst. God's people said together, amen. Can you give the Lord a praise this morning?